Very good. It's a dead spot right up in this area too. I well, I'm <laughs> metaphorically speaking. Okay, so let me let me set a little foundation for you. I'll say a few things and then I want to show you a, a video clip. Um, I hope you take, took note of the fact that God tells Saul that he's got somebody else picked out for the king, for the kingdom. And I want you to think about the idea of superficial judgments that we human beings use when we're trying to evaluate somebody. That's really the theme that runs through this. <clears throat> In uh, March 2013, so about a year ago, Forbes magazine, which is an economic magazine, uh, Ty Kissel wrote that appearances often make a difference and how much salary a, people, a person can make. So, for example, uh, tall people get paid more money, uh, up to $789 a year more than short people. Uh, weight, uh, people paid, uh, people that are what you might call normal weight co-workers, uh, at the rate of $8,666 a year, uh, uh, they get paid more uh, than people who are considered fat. Uh, in that group, uh, people, women who are overweight get paid even less than an overweight man would get paid, and so gender enters into it. Hair color, blondes get more money than, uh, than uh, women with other hair colors. Uh, workers get paid more to the tune of $80 a week who are physically fit. Um, women who wear makeup get paid more. Uh, beautiful workers earn an average of roughly 5% more than the others. Or you can be too pretty, and if you're too pretty, uh, you probably will get paid less or uh, be discriminated against in jobs occupied by men. That's alarming stuff when you think about it. To think that somebody would form a judgment about you based on how you look rather than who you are. So with that as introduction, I want to show you this little clip. Some of you may have already seen it, but uh, I want to comment about it after we see it. Hi, what's your name, darling? My name is Susan Boyle. Okay, uh, Susan, and where are you from? I am from Blackburn near Bathgate, West Lothian. It's a big town. It's a sort of collection of, it's a collection of uh, villages. I to think there. And how old are you, Susan? I am 47. And that's just one side of me. <laughs> okay, what's the dream? I 
I'm trying to be a professional singer. And why hasn't it worked out so far, Susan? I've never been given the chance before, but he's hoping it'll change. Okay, and who would you like to be as successful as? Elaine Page. Elaine Page. Like what are you going to sing tonight? I'm going to sing I Dreamed a Dream from the Miserables. Okay. Big song. <laughs> yeah? Yes. Without a doubt, that was the biggest surprise I have had in three years on this show. When you stood there with that cheeky grin and said, I, I want to be like Elaine Page, everyone was laughing at you. No one is laughing now. That was stunning. An incredible performance. Amazing. I'm reeling from shock about you two, but... I'm so thrilled because I know that everybody was against you. I honestly think that we were all being very cynical and I think that's the biggest wake-up call ever. And I just want to say that it was a complete 
privilege listening to that. It was inspirational. I knew the minute you walked out. Oh, Simon! On that stage, that we were going to hear something extraordinary, and I was right. Not a lot of touch. Susan, you are a little tiger, aren't you? No, I don't know about that. You are. Okay, moment of truth. Here's yes or no. The biggest yes I have ever given anybody. <laughs> Amanda? Yes, definitely. Susan Boyle, you can go back to the village with your head held high. It's three S's. It's a tragic clip. It breaks my heart every time I watch it. What's wrong with it? Huh? Yeah, judging. Yes. Yeah, like that would be comforting to her to say it was a shock that you came out here and did that. What else? The, to look the way you do. That's exactly what the underlying story is on there. And I think that it is, I think it's one of the best illustrations that I've seen of how wrong it is for us human beings to, to put those kinds of templates on people. We don't know. Uh, to tell her that they knew that the whole audience was against her because of the look, because of the way you look. In his book, uh, Blink, I don't know if you've read that book, but it's, it's a really neat book. Malcolm Gladwell, whose latest book is about David and Goliath, which is interesting to me because Gladwell used to be an atheist or an agnostic, and so he's now writing in faith about David and Goliath. Uh, I think he's Jewish. And he tells the story of Julie Landsman, who is a French horn player for the Met. And it used to be that women were not allowed to play in the brass section. They were not considered to have the lungs or the, I don't know what, maybe the lips to be able to play brass. And so she played French horn, but uh, uh, she only played as a substitute. She only played when a man couldn't be there, and uh, she would come in in their place. Well, the Mets started having blind auditions for brass players. And in a blind audition, what they have is a screen, so you can't see the person behind the screen and uh, be prejudicial based on whoever that person might be. All you could hear was their playing. And on this particular day, Julie Landsman goes to the blind audition. She gets behind the screen. She plays the piece that she's supposed to play, and she wins the audition. She's given first chair, the principal, in the orchestra, in the French horn section. 
And then she walks out from behind the screen. And the article I read, uh, well, what Gladwell said is they gasped when she walked out because their prejudices against women kept them from hearing the beauty of her playing. Is that tragic or what? So it's really not surprising to me that God warns Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7 that God doesn't play this game the way you human beings do it. He doesn't look on appearances. He doesn't look at Susan Boyle and say, because you look a certain way, we don't think you have any talent. God just doesn't do it. And according to 1 Samuel, the first place that God goes is here. Here, the heart. Or if you want, the mind. There's uh, no doubt that our current society is is prey to this. We see it all the time. We see it, and and I struggle with it, I'm sure you do. Struggle with superficial judgments that we make about people. I remember a conversation uh, I had with a, a guy at, <clears throat> this was several years ago, back at, uh, down at Bank of America. It was, uh, so this was in the early, very early, well, it's like 2006, maybe, something like that. So, you know, like eight years ago. Heavily tattooed on his neck and, you know, all over. And, and he's standing behind me. And so I initiated a conversation with him, and he turned out to be the most charming man, and I enjoyed my conversation with him in the line. But the tendency is to, is to be that this person is going to be stereotypically this sort of person. It's not right. It's just not right. The Bible has some occasions that are, that are interesting on this note. Uh, of failed King Saul, the subject of 1 Samuel 16. It is said he was the most handsome man in the land. So by the, by the criteria of that Forbes article I quoted for you, he should have been top of the list. He should have been getting the best salary in the land because he's the most handsome But he's the man that most exemplifies what it means to live life without faith in God, without an obedient spirit. The giant Goliath, this one's funny. The giant Goliath looks at ruddy face, shepherd boy David, little shrimpy boy David comes out to do battle with Goliath. And Goliath says... Am I a dog that you send somebody out that looks like this? That's a paraphrase. But, you know, Goliath was laughing to himself and he says, I'm going to kill this guy in 30 seconds. Next thing we know, Goliath's dead on the ground. Of the Apostle Paul, his critic says, his, way, his letters are weighty and strong, 
writes really fiery letters, but his physical presence is weak and we don't like him. Paul, knowing our human tendencies, said in 2 Corinthians 5, we regard no one from a human point of view because of Jesus. We regard no one from a human point of view. That's really hard. That's really hard. A smart person knows that the parts of humanity that are are unseen are really the most important parts of us. Really, this part of us. That's the most important part. That's, I think that's at the core of why Jesus said, don't judge. Do not judge. You don't know. There's things you don't know. Because you're human. So you could be physically ugly and internally beautiful. Or externally beautiful and interiorly ugly. And we've seen people like that, haven't we? They're just inside are just a mess. But you don't know that. Nadia Boltz Weber, who's kind of becoming one of my heroes, is a heavily tattooed Lutheran pastor and a woman. And she's the pastor of all house, the, the house of all sinners and saints. It's packed out on Sunday mornings because people want to come and hear a message that says you're important to God and what's going on inside you is more valuable than what's going on outside of you. I think this explains why Jesus tolerated tax collectors and sinners. If you are reading my blog, you know I had a poem recently about the party at Zach's house. It's about Zacchaeus. The rich people, the enfranchised people, the religious leaders would have nothing to do with Jesus. But the tax collectors and the sinners and the people on the lower end of the social totem pole were the ones that were attracted to Jesus because he, above anyone else, said, you are valuable. You are important. They came to be heard and to hear. And so there's lepers. Lepers had to walk down the street saying, unclean, unclean, and they had to stay so many paces away from other people. Jesus touched them. Imagine that. Or there was the woman in John 8, taken, literally taken out of her lover's arms and brought into the public square and thrown down at Jesus' feet. And he says to her, I don't condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Saul was a a handsome man, but a failed king, and God rejected him. David wasn't actually, in many respects, much better off than Saul. You know, straight out of the chute, very early in David's reign as king, he 
watches Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop several paces or several blocks away from the, from the castle. And he tells one of his servants, I'd really like to have her. Would you bring her to my house? Commits adultery with her. When he finds out she's pregnant, he has her husband killed. Not, it's not very good stuff, is it? But the interesting thing is that God says, this is a man after my own heart, and I think it's because of what was going on here with David. That's how David was different than Saul. It's because there was a different mechanism inside of David. Different set of values, a different way of orienting his life, a, a different way of, of living or wanting to live. This sermon is called The, the Strange People God Picks Up. And I, I don't know a better way to say it, because God picks up strange people. Look at us. <laughs> And the Bible's filled with those kinds of people. Noah, for example. I, Bev and I went to see Noah Friday night and uh, enjoyed it. It's, uh, you know, I, I have some critique, but I, you know, I, I would tell people, go see it and be challenged by it and think, think about what they're trying to say and the blanks they're trying to fill in in the, in the Noah story. But... Uh, one of the things that really struck me is how strange Noah must have appeared to his neighbors. Building this monster boat, world hadn't experienced rain, corrupt to the core society. And here's this man doing this thing. Strange person, but it's the one that God picked out. Naaman, a Syrian general, not a Jew, Syrian general, has leprosy. That's who Elisha heals. Rahab, a prostitute from Jericho, is the one that helps the Israelite spies get away, and she is saved. And get this, she's a great, 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 great grandmother. I don't know how many greats to put in there, but of, guess who? Jesus. Rahab, prostitute. I think that's part of God's sense of humor. You know, God, that must make God chuckle a little bit. Um, boy, this will make them think. There's Simeon and Anna, these two old people that shuffle around in the temple to get to see Messiah. There's Matthew, who's a hated tax collector. I'm telling you, tax collectors were hated with a capital H. They extorted money. They worked for the Romans. Jews hated tax collectors. And Jesus says, hey, come on, Matthew, you're my kind of people. And Matthew becomes one of the apostles. Point of this is not to say that God rejects people who, who have privilege or who have money, and if that were true, we'd be out. It is to say, however, that the foundation for God's choices is internal. That's a hard lesson to get. Uh, mine works on overtime, my, my judgment side. Does yours? 
Now I look at somebody and I think I know, but I don't. So people that society rejects may well be the people that God values and uses for his glory. James actually warns us. He says in James chapter 2, Suppose someone comes into your meeting, dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who's poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If, James says, you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person. But you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? James says. Isn't that what we do? It's like what happened to Susan Boyle. I want to say to that panel, shame on you. I'm glad Susan Boyle won, but I think she won at the expense to her value as a human being. That's what I really think. So I want to give you some concrete takeaways from this text, and and we'll finish. First, rank is not a measure of a relationship with God. It just is not. It never has any bearing on relationship with God. Second, What may appear to be disadvantages are the things that God actually uses to slide in under the door or around on the backside of our consciousness and and help us to see truth. So like Rahab or Matthew and Zacchaeus, both tax collectors. I mean, the fact that God searches out people like that is valuable to me. It helps me to see that there's so much more going on under the surface that I can't see. And third, the man after God's heart is the person whose heart is truly submissive to the will of God. That's the difference between Saul and David. You know, David is going, I want to know what God, what God wants for me. I think David would have been the first to say, yes, I make mistakes, I fail miserably, and I hate it because I want to do what God wants me to do. God does surprising, shocking things, doesn't he? You know, that's the name of this series, The Surprising God. And we see it here. We see it in him going out in the pasture and finding the next king of Israel, tending sheep. Amazing. And I think uh, in today's health and wealth-driven world, I, I, think, I think it would be interesting to just ask how much we, we elevate people based on, on rank, based on wealth, based on appearance. Let's pray. Dear Father, it's hard to have your mind, especially in determining how we think, how we judge. We want to be with people that look like us, that talk like us, that have social standing. Remind us often that you healed Naaman the Syrian and fed the widow from Zarephath. 
you use Rahab the prostitute as a great-grandparent of Jesus. And you chose one of your disciples from among the tax collectors. May we learn to look beyond physical trappings and learn to choose the strange people you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Has captured me. Your grace has set me free. Your light, the air I breathe, be glorified. You set my feet to dance and you set my heart on fire The prince of a thousand kings, you are my one desire And I stand before you now with trembling hands lifted high Be glorified Have a great day, you are dismissed Have a great week I got a whole weekend for finals and finals. <laughs>